You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Last week, we finished a two-part mini-teaching series titled Called. You remember that over the past two weeks? Where we were working to reclaim the sacred language of calling according to the kingdom of God. And then before that, we were in a series called The Art of Giving Up, uh, which is soon to be a book, which is pretty cool. And then um, before that, we were in a series called Perspective, where we were trying to get the perspective of God, um, looking through the book of Philippians. And I, I really enjoy teaching through series because I believe they help our church family walk together um, with focus through a specific topic or a book of the Bible. Um, I believe going through series like that brings unity um, within the church family because we're all learning, we're all growing in in the same thing, the same spiritual truths. Um, But this week we are in between series. Um, I'll share with you later at the the end of our gathering um, what teaching series will start next. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a challenging series. It's going to be a long series, so just prepare your hearts for that. Um, But today I have just a a one-off message for you. Um, When we're in between series, I really try, is, is anybody's phone going off? Like, hey, Siri? Series, I'm saying series a lot. That's interesting. I think my iPad or my watch used to do that when I had one. Um, but when we're in between series, I, I really try uh, to tune my spiritual ears, so to speak, to what's happening around me and in the world. And I try to share individual messages related to what I'm hearing. Uh, and there are often seasons in life when you kind of, you hear the same things being talked about among different people, where you can be hanging out with one group of people and this topic comes up, and then you'll be hanging out with a completely different group of people and the same topic uh, starts coming up. Um, and conversational trends. I don't know if that's a legitimate phrase, but I'm calling it that. Um, conversational trends. Um, and conversational trends, I believe, are they're, they're a reflection of what's going on in the world and what's on the hearts and the minds of people. Um, sometimes these conversational trends can be lighthearted and just silly and downright ridiculous sometimes. Um, like, have you heard of this new challenge called the milk crate challenge? How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. How many of you have seen it? How many of you have done it? Please, no hands raised. All right. But the, the milk crate challenge is where they're, they're having these individual milk crates. There's one. And then they stack two on top of each other, then three, and then four. And then people are walking up them like steps. And you can imagine the higher you get, the more unstable that is. And there are countless videos of people just falling to their doom. It's hard not to laugh and say, like, you deserve that one. Um, right? So conversational trends, they can be lighthearted. Uh, some conversational trends can be more serious. And as of late, there seems to be a lot of, of serious conversations about what's happening in our world. Uh, conversations about COVID, political tensions, cultural tensions. I mean, the, the crisis that's unfolding in Afghanistan as we speak. And church family, we need to remember to pray for our world. Amen? 
We need to remember to pray for the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But we should also be praying what is our part in seeing God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. All right, we need to pray for our world. And so when I'm trying to figure out what to teach on, especially when we're in between series, I, I listen for these conversational trends. What are people talking about? What are people's concerns in the world? And more importantly, what does God have to say about them? And there's one topic that has come up a few times in my conversations um, with different people. And I, I, think, I think it's interesting. I think it's worth noting. Uh, it's a topic you probably haven't seen on any news headlines. Uh, you probably haven't seen any posts about this topic on social media. But in my talking with different people, people who are walking in different phases of life, who have no real connection with each other, the topic of friendship keeps coming up. Friendship. I was, I was talking with someone the other day, and, and they told me how they had just finished a book on, on friendship. Um, and we talked about how that was interesting, that, that there's a book about friendship. And it got us talking about how friendship isn't something you really read about very often. Uh, but in ancient Greek and in, in Roman days, um, friendship was often written about. And there were even these treatises and guides about how to be a good friend that all of society would follow and adhere to. Right? The, but today, you don't find many books about friendship, especially books about friendship from a Christian perspective. Uh, then I was, I was talking with uh, someone else unrelated to this other person, um, and I was kind of for, for sermon topics that I could preach on. And I said, hey, what's something that you would want to hear talked about in church? And in a roundabout way, they said friendship and the importance of community and friends living and, and working together, living life together. And then a few days later, I was texting another person unrelated and they, they had mentioned that friendship and knowing how to make friends really is the key to successful small groups. We were talking about small groups. And so this, this topic of friendship, at least for me, has been a conversational trend, an unexpected one at that. But I believe that there's something to it. I believe there is this lack of and longing for true friendship in the world, and even within the family of God. And I believe that, that God actually has, has a lot to say about friendship through his word, through, through the scriptures, um, and I think that we need to listen and learn what God has to say about this. So we're going to talk about friendship this morning. Um, the title of today's message is Iron Sharpen Iron. Amen. Let's pray. Let's seek God together and let's ask him to just be in our midst. God, we thank you that we can be your friend. We thank you that because of your son, Jesus, who paved the way for redemption and forgiveness. We can be your friend. And so, God, we, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that undeserved honor that we have. And, and we're, so, we're so grateful for it. And, God, we pray that through our friendship with you, you would teach us how to be friends with the people right around us, with the people in our lives. God, we pray that you would show us what true, real, meaningful, purpose friendship really looks like according to your word. God, show us the value of it. God, where maybe we've thought, ah, I don't need friends. God, would you revive our desire for friendship again? God, I'm asking that you would help us to be childlike this morning. 
Every child wants a friend. And so would you just um, birth that inside of us, revive it inside of us this morning. We thank you. We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, turn to somebody sitting next to you just to make sure you're awake and say, iron sharpens iron. Turn to the person who you chose not to talk to um, and say, iron sharpens iron. Nobody's left out. All right, so friendship, iron sharpens iron. We're, we're going to get to that phrase in a moment, okay? Don't let me forget it. Um, but what I want you to do is I want to paint a picture for you. Let me paint a picture of three kinds of poverty in the world. And I know that sounds unrelated, but we'll get to it. All right? Um, there's material poverty, right? That's the first one. We know what this is. Material poverty is when you don't have enough resources to live a, a good, healthy life. Um, there's also spiritual poverty. You can have all of the material wealth in the world, but if you have no eternal hope, you are spiritually poor. I read it once somewhere in this amazing book, What Does It Profit a Man to Gain the Whole World but Lose His Own Soul? It was a joke. It's from the Bible. Um, right, these two kinds of poverty are, are, are pretty well known. Okay, but a, a third type of poverty, I think, is taking people by surprise. This third uh, poverty is, is jarring because we've even created resources and technology to combat this poverty. But this poverty is more and more pervasive as the years go by. It's not material. It's not spiritual, at least not totally spiritual. Um, it's relational poverty, which is sweeping across the developed world, the developed Western world as we speak. Um, and, and there seems to be some trends leading to this relational poverty. And it seems that the, the more financial blessings, material blessings that people have, the more they lose the blessings of relationship. And there are a lot of theories as to why this is. Uh, one theory, for example, is that um, we live in a society that celebrates and strives for independence. I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't want to need anything from anyone else. I want to be independent. And to be independent, let me just say, and this might ruffle some feathers, is to be distinctly non-Christian. Independence is not a Judeo-Christian value because God did not create us to be independent, but instead to be entirely dependent on him and the people within the family of God. Jesus died for all of us and loves the church, and we together are to serve one another, love one another, exhort one another, lift up and love one another. Right? To be independent is a non-Christian idea. Even in our language, as believers, we don't fully communicate what God really wants for us. We encourage people and say, you need to have a personal relationship with God, which is true, but it's not the full truth. God doesn't want us to just settle for a personal relationship with him because the Bible says that something rich and profound happens when personal relationship with God is shared amongst a group of people. The Bible says wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is. He's here right now, church family. He's present. Right? What's even better than experiencing God on your own is experiencing the glory and the power and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God. 
and broader context of deep biblical But the reality is so few people have that. In our culture today, we have so many external blessings, and yet so many people internally, they're relationally impoverished. We're like Scrooge McDuck swimming in our pile of gold, but we're all alone. If you 80s and 90s kids know what I'm talking about. All right, external blessing, but internal relational poverty. Okay, so, so here are three top reasons why sociologists um, and the like, they, they think that relational poverty is, is so pervasive today and what's leading to it. Some of the things that, that have come about, they're interesting because the, the first is because of increased mobility. Increased mobility. We just don't stay in one place very long anymore. The average American moves once every five years. And if you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you move once every three years. And it's difficult to have long-term relationships when you just don't stick around. Number two is modern conveniences. Okay, think about this. Think about air conditioning. And think about how air conditioning changed the world. Because before the air conditioner, where did people hang out at their houses in the evening time? Anybody remember? Outside. They hung out in their yards, on their porch, right? On their porch swing or rocking chair, right? Drinking a glass of sun tea uh, because it was cooler outside than it was inside your stuffy house. And as people hung out in their yard and on their porch, you couldn't help but see your neighbors. You had to. You had no choice. Right? How are you doing? Oh, where's Alice this evening? Is she doing okay? Oh, no. She's inside only because she's sick. Oh, bless her heart. Man, we'll be praying for her. You know what? I'm going to bring over a a cup of, of chicken noodle soup for you. Right? But then air conditioning came around. And what happened? We're inside way more. Way more. I'm not saying you got to burn your air conditioning or anything like that. We need it here in Arizona, right? But it takes a little more work to to find our neighbors and get to know them. Another modern convenience that changed community relationships was the attached garage. The attached garage. You know, garages aren't as common. At least attached garages aren't as common in Tucson, I've noticed, compared to the suburbia I grew up in Texas. Um, But before attached garages, um, you had to actually get out of your car and walk outside in the elements from your car to your house for all of the world to see, for all of them to see, right? Now, with the modern convenience of the attached garage and and the garage door at that, uh, you can drive directly into your house like you're some superhero, right? Driving the, the Batmobile right into your Batcave, close the door behind you, and then you never have to see anybody or talk to anybody, right? People can live in the same neighborhood for years and never have to even talk to their neighbors or even see them if they don't have to. Uh, another modern convenience that changed community relationships is the increase of individualized forms of entertainment. Think about it. Those of you who are my age and older, I'm younger and, and kind of the millennial in-between generation, but, but think back in the day when you were growing up, um, how did we play and entertain ourselves? We went outside and we played with people, real people, face to face, right? 
You would go outside, play with people, pick up a game of basketball or kickball or whatever that, right? And this is a crazy concept today, I know, but, but now what's more normal? Kids stay inside way more, playing video games or watching TV, using personal mobile devices, and there's not nearly as much in-person social interaction. And, and with the pandemic, right, that's intensified way more. Uh, the third reason relational poverty is, is more pervasive today is social media. Okay, and I know I, I sound like an old man talking about your kids and your cell phones and all these kinds of things. But, but yeah, preach, I need that encouragement. Thank you. Right? But, but listen, one writer said that social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. Think about that. Right? Physically, you can be all alone. But all you have to do is grab your mobile device, post something on social media, and within moments, you can have instant feedback, a like, a heart, a retweet, a follow, or, or, or whatever. Right? It makes you feel good for a moment, but that feel good is only a moment. It doesn't last very long. And loneliness is only deferred, not totally alleviated. And you've heard it before. And if you didn't believe it before COVID, right? It's certainly proven itself true today, but this generation is more connected than ever, but also more lonely than ever. Right? Deep down, when we are still enough, when we are silent enough, and we're not too distracted to think about it, we know that something is not right. Something is wrong. Something is missing, or, or more accurately, someone is missing. We're missing people. So many people are relationally impoverished. Real, true, meaningful, in-person friendship is endangered, I believe, and it's on the verge of extinction. What's even more frustrating is that the world knows this. Right? We are aware of the problem. We see the stats of depression, anxiety, suicide. We see how people are getting married later in life, and, and they're, they're waiting to have kids even longer. And those might not seem related, but I think they are all related to relational poverty in some way. Right? We know there's a problem, but even if we want to fix it now and for the next generation, think about the next generation. They don't even know how to have a face-to-face -face conversation with another human being. It's really hard for them to do that. Right, so, so how do we do this? Right, what do we do about this, this issue of relational poverty? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. Not easy, but it's simple. We need to be reminded of the importance of friendship. Right, we need to learn how to friend again, not through social media, but actual relationship. We need to learn to friend again. We need to learn what it takes to not just make friends or click a button and follow people and stalk them, right? It's easy to make friends, but listen, it's work to keep friends. And this isn't just philosophy or ideology, it's theology. God cares about friendship. Our friendship with him, but also our friendship with the people in his family. And what's interesting is that the person who writes the most about friendship in the Bible is the person who had the most material wealth in the Bible. King Solomon was the wisest and richest man of his time. 
And in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which he wrote, they have much to say about friendship. He wrote a lot about friendship, the importance of close friendships with, with just a few people and even keeping good company. For example, you can write these down and look them up for yourself later. But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer there's a difference between companion and friendship, according to Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Or Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. I would encourage you to read Proverbs 27. It talks a lot about friendship. But Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You get that, what that means, earnest counsel? Telling you the truth about who you are, even when it doesn't feel good? All right, and then Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, he says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It matters who your friends are in life. And not only does Solomon write about friendship, but we also see examples of healthy, close friendships in the Bible. King David and Jonathan, they're well-known examples in the Bible of best friends, best friends. Ruth and Naomi, they were in-laws to each other, but they were also dear, loving friends. And who says there are no miracles in the Bible? A mother-in-law and daughter-in-law becoming best friends? That's miraculous, right? Paul had Barnabas and Luke. Jesus, our Savior, had, had Peter, James, and John. All of these friendships, they were beneficial. Right? They weren't without their problems because friendship isn't easy. Right? But the benefits always outweighed the problems. Close friendship with other believers is modeled and encouraged for us in the Bible. God wants us to have close, meaningful, lasting friendships with other believers. And so what I want to do with the, the, the little bit of time that we have left together is I want to look at what it takes to have close, meaningful, lasting friendships with other believers, and we'll see one resulting benefit of this. Um, but, but Solomon, again, he has a, another proverb that I think paints the picture of this kind of friendship really well. I didn't forget it. This is Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, read it with me, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I think we've all heard this proverb before, this idiom, this phrase Right, iron sharpens iron, and you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to appreciate its meaning. Everybody uses it, right? In the context of, of bladed tools, right? Sharper is always better, right? The sharper a knife or axe or plow or scissors are, the more useful they are, the more effective they are for their intended use. And if you've ever been to the salon or the barber and they used a pair of somewhat dull scissors to cut your hair, ouch, you know sharper is better. If you've ever tried to cut a, a beautiful tomato with a dull knife and you've squeezed its guts all over the cutting board, right, you know sharper is better. But listen, a bladed tool cannot become sharp on its own. It can't just sit there and become sharp. 
a blade needs something else to make it sharp. And you can sharpen blades in many different ways. I have some visuals for you. Um, you can sharpen blades in many different ways. Um, some blacksmiths, they use a belt sander or, or like a grinder, like what you see up there. Um, there are, uh, you can use a, a, an iron file to file a blade to make it sharper. There are wet stones, stones that you put water or oil. There are even diamond stones that you can use. And you see that bottom one in the corner, that, that little with a kitchen knife. You probably have one of these at your house where you just slide your blade through it and it gets sharper. But what you're sliding it over is two pieces of carbon steel, which is an iron alloy. Iron sharpens iron. Right? And some of those, they even have another side to it with ceramic to, to make your, your sharpness even finer. Right, but before that, in the Iron Age of history, during King Solomon's time, you could actually take two iron alloy blades of different hardness and coarseness. You could rub them together at a certain angle along their edge, and they would both make each other sharp. Iron sharpens iron. I tried go searching for two iron swords this past weekend. I couldn't find any for a visual representation, um, but maybe that would have been a little threatening, pastor holding two knives, swords, swords while preaching. Um, but what we see is that iron sharpens iron, and this image of iron sharpening iron is such a good image of how to build friendship. Because just like sharper is always better, Friendship always makes life better and makes you better as an individual. You zoom in on this process of sharpening, you really see the process of what it takes to have real friendship. And so here's what I want to do. I want to share with you um, what I've learned about friendship and building friendship as we zoom in on this process uh, of sharpening. Okay, so if you're taking notes, number one is that sharpening requires uncomfortable Sharpening requires comfortable closeness. Like I said, a, a blade cannot become sharp on its own. It needs to come into close contact with something else, something abrasive. And real friendship is the same. It is really, really hard to build friendship from a distance. I think we've seen that over this past year and a half. Right? Building friendship requires closeness, proximity. Letting people into your life. And guess what? That can be uncomfortable. All my introverts say amen. Amen. Right? Just like two iron blades of, of differing qualities and abrasiveness, they need to come in close contact and friction with one another to, to sharpen. So do two people. I, some of my best and edifying friendships are with people who are different than me. Right? They do things differently than I would. They come from different backgrounds. They have different personalities and views than me. And those differences can feel abrasive at times. And your friends can rub you the wrong way sometimes, true or false. Right? But that doesn't mean it's a bad friendship. That uncomfortable and sometimes abrasive closeness can actually make you better. Right? So um, sharpening requires uncomfortable closeness. Number two. Sharpening requires vulnerability. Sharpening requires opening up and saying, I need to be sharpened. I'm dull. I'm not in the best shape that I know I can be. 
I want to be sharp, and I know I can't sharpen myself on my own, so how about we be friends? I think we can benefit one another, add value to one another. Our strengths and our weaknesses, they can balance each other out. Sharpening requires vulnerability. Number three, sharpening hurts. Sharpening hurts. Okay, listen. When you're sharpening a knife, sharpening is a process of subtraction, not addition. When you sharpen a blade, you aren't adding metal to it to make it sharper. You're actually taking metal away, right? You're knocking off pieces of the blade, the rough, jagged edges that affect the sharpness of the blade. And after you've sharpened your kitchen knives, you can even see on the countertop little shards of metal. You see it left over on the blade. And guess what? We all have rough edges in our lives, don't we? We all experience seasons of, of dullness and ineffectiveness. And likewise, sharpening is a process of subtraction, not addition. Oftentimes, there are things in our lives that need to be taken away, that need to be knocked off, cut off to make us better, sharper. Maybe they're sins. Right? Maybe they're bad habits. Maybe they're qualities about your character that need refining. Maybe it's a, a, a person who's unhealthy that you need to get out of your life. Right? And do you know who the best person is to identify those rough edges in your life? Let me give you a hint. It's not yourself, all right? It's not you because we are often blind to our own flaws. But other people, friends with an outside perspective, they can help identify those rough edges in our lives. Hey, friend, I noticed that whenever you're upset, you lash out at me or other people with angry and hurtful words. Ouch. That's hurtful to hear. It hurts to have those flaws exposed, and it takes work and effort to get rid of those rough edges, but without those, those loving, kind words and insight and gentle rebuke from a friend, we don't become sharper, better. Right? And you know that that person is a true friend when they call out those rough edges in your life, but they don't walk away, they don't run away, they stick with you, and they help you through the sharpening process, right? Helping you get rid of those rough edges. Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Well, wisdom. What wisdom? Do you, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, do you want someone to just kiss your butt and tell you how awesome you are all the time? You might want to, but is it better for you? Right? Listen, if you have someone in your life like that, Solomon says, watch out. They are not your friend. They're your enemy. Your enemy. Right? Or do you want to become better, sharper? It might require hearing difficult to hear things from your friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Sharpening hurts. And number four, probably my favorite, sharpening works best with a medium. With a medium. Now, what do I mean by this? Now, I don't know how true this is for two iron blades sharpening one another, uh, but uh, a sharpening stone, like we saw earlier, it works best when you have a medium, like water or oil, to interact between the blade and the stone. You can sharpen a blade on a dry stone. It, it works okay, 
but a wet or oiled stone works so much better. And Jesus says he is the living water. The Holy Spirit is symbolized as oil, right? And when Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit are the medium that brings two people together in friendship, oh man, that is powerful, church family. That's meaningful. That's deep friendship with a purpose. And you know that if you have friends who are not believers, you know that sure, they, they might be able to speak truth and goodness into your life, just like a dry stone, it, it can add some sharpness. But there's something different with your friends who follow Jesus. There's something different when you and your friend are both saturated and covered with the Holy Spirit. Right? That's when sharpening is the most effective. Right? Those are the friends that can relate to you most. Those are the friends you feel most comfortable being open and vulnerable with. Because you both have the same medium working between you. The love of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so four things. I'm sure there are others that we could pull. And we spent a long time just breaking this imagery down of iron sharpening iron. Right? But these are our four main things that I noticed. Right? This is what it takes to have close, meaningful, lasting friendship with other believers. Sharpening requires uncomfortable closeness. So think about it. Are you uncomfortably close with another human being? The kind of closeness that someone who isn't your friend would look upon you and say, whoa, they're close. All right now, let me just qualify this statement for a moment as I, as I go through these. I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? I'm not talking about your spouse. Having a spouse who is your best friend is an incredible gift. It is a blessing, right? But listen, in marriage, you are one flesh. You are one flesh in marriage, right? And oftentimes, your spouse doesn't always recognize your rough edges, your flaws. You know what? Your, your farts can smell like rose petals to your spouse sometimes. And they just can't see the, the, the hard things in your life, right? So your spouse aside, who is that person that you are uncomfortably close with? Who is that person that you're vulnerable and open with? They know your weakness. They know the dull and rough parts of your life that, that need sharpening. Do you have someone in your life who's willing to, to lovingly say the things that might hurt in the moment, but you know you need to hear them. You know that they're true. And, and they're willing to stick with you in that sharpening process. Do you have someone in your life who, who loves Jesus and is full of the Holy Spirit? You have that, that, that medium between working in and through you. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and, and you've struggled at, at times to, to find the value of close friendship, like what we're talking about. Listen, for me, it's, it's never been difficult to find and make friends in my life, but I've always struggled to want close friends in my life. I've often felt like I was fine, or maybe I was even better just on my own. And that just might be my personality. That's that independence that we talked about earlier. And so I might not seem like the best person to talk about friendship. But listen, over the years, I have trusted God's word, the same scriptures we've read. I've seen his heart and desire for me to have close friends. 
And so I, I've made the effort. It's work. It's effort to be uncomfortably close to people. I've made the effort to open up and be vulnerable to people. I've allowed people to say things that felt incredibly hurtful in the moment, but I knew that were true. And I've seen God use friends to, to strengthen me. I, I've seen God, as I've submitted to this process, grow me in my spiritual gifts and in, in my, my faith. I've seen God even use close friendships to bring healing and wholeness into my life. Right? Friendship has, has always benefited more than it's ever hurt in my life. Right? I am sharper because of friendship uh, that I have with other followers of Jesus. And listen to what Solomon says. Last verse I'll share with you. But so good. A, a great bit of wisdom that shows the power and design of friendship. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, he says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Simply put, life is harder Living life requires more strength and effort when you don't have godly friendships to sharpen you. But when you open yourself up to godly friendships, when you allow yourself to be sharpened by them, and you have the, the bond of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, guess what? It gives you an edge on life that other people don't have. Right? Life is better. Life is easier. You are stronger because you're not going at it alone. Right? Building godly friendships is one of the best ways to get an edge on life, if that's what you're looking for. Right? It's God's design. It's his desire. It's his will for us to go through this life, not alone, but with friends. Amen? Annette, you can come on up. And I just wanted to take this opportunity and just take a moment to, to reflect on everything that we just said. And so right where you are, we'll, we'll even dim the lights a little bit. Don't get sleepy on me, but just maybe you need to close your eyes. Maybe you need to stand up or whatever you need to do, but, but just assume a posture of reflection and receiving from the Lord right now. Ask God to examine your heart and help you examine your heart. Ask God to make everything we talked about personal. And you know what? This is a, this is a sharpening moment between us and our, our friend, Jesus. And he might be speaking things into your life right now that they might not feel good. It hurts to be exposed sometimes. Sharpening hurts. But Jesus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. So if you're feeling a little pain right now as you reflect upon this, know that it's not, it's not harm. There's a difference from harm and hurt. A doctor hurts you to make you healthy. And sometimes we have to experience hurt to find health. And so don't push those, those feelings and those thoughts down or away. But trust Jesus in this moment, our best friend, our Savior. Trust the Holy Spirit who's our comforter and our helper in this moment.
And I think there are probably one of two people in this room right now who are watching, listening online. On one hand, you might be the person who's lonely. And you're, you're longing for friendship. And you can't seem to navigate and figure out how to make that happen in your life. I would just encourage you to submit that to Jesus right now. Offer up a, a prayer asking for friendship. Ask God to lead you to people, godly people who will be your friend. He hears your prayers and he'll provide a way. Or you might be the other person, a little more like me, where you struggle to find the value in friendship. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by friends and that was just too hard. One, I would say trust Jesus to heal those hurts. But two, the same is, same, same is true for you. Ask Jesus to help you be a friend to somebody. Ask Jesus to revive that desire for friendship and follow in his design for your life. You are not made to be alone. You're made to be with people, especially other people within the family of God. Maybe you're here and, and you've, you've heard everything I said and maybe it sounds foreign to you or, or you see that element of, of having Jesus in your life and how Jesus um, can make your friendships so much better. But maybe you've never made that decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to submit to Jesus as my, my best friend, my Savior and my Lord. If, if that's you, I would encourage you in this moment to find a friend in Jesus. His friendship is worth having because it means so much more than just comfort and, and, and well-being here on this earth, but it means eternal life and friendship for eternal life to come. So if that's you, would you just surrender your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you be my friend? There's no greater friend. So let me just pray for you right now where you are. God, I pray for those who are lonely. I pray for those who desire to have friends, but it's just been difficult. Maybe the pandemic has made it hard to connect, really connect. God, I pray that you'd provide a way. I pray that you would provide people in their lives who want to be real and true friends to them. God, for those who've struggled to find the value in friendship and haven't wanted to seek that, God, I pray that you would just revive that desire in their hearts right now in the name of Jesus that they would see where friendship will, will sharpen them and make them better. And they'll be able to make other people better in the process. And for those who have never called you friend Jesus, I pray that you would help them to say those words today. Soften their hearts to start a friendship with you, Jesus. And help them to call you their friend, their savior, their Lord in this place. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. So what I want to do is I just want to move into a time of, of remembering our friend Jesus through communion. And Jesus tells us that, or Jesus and, and Paul and other scripture writers, they tell us that the best way to remember our friend Jesus is through communion, taking uh, the bread and taking the juice. And so if Jesus is your friend, then I would encourage you, if, if you are not a follower of Jesus, please refrain from taking communion. 
or if, or if you've struggled and you, you're, you're in a season of, of maybe you're not as close to Jesus as you, you feel like you should be, I would say refrain from taking communion this morning and get to a place where you can confidently call Jesus friend again. Right, but if Jesus is your friend, I would encourage you to just stand up right now. We've got communion uh, on two different places in the back. Um, you can go back and, and grab communion. Maybe uh, it's one person for your row or for your, your group of people, but you're released to grab communion. And let's remember our friend Jesus today by taking the bread and the juice. And what we encourage here at CCA is uh, don't take communion alone. Gather with your friends this morning. Gather with your family this morning. Jesus is who unites you. And so take communion together as friends, as family. Point one another to Jesus. And if you've never done it this way before, just simply say, Jesus, we remember you. We remember your broken body. We remember your shed blood for us and how we are now your friends. And then you take and eat. And it's a wonderful, holy moment. So let's take communion. your attention to the screen and here's some questions that you can take to just continue your personal reflection on everything we've talked about four questions that you can take and maybe on the drive home or throughout the week with with friends that that you can um, talk about these things together or even just for your own personal quiet time with your friend Jesus you can go through these questions and think about them so you can take a picture you can write these down Screenshot it if you're watching online. But question number one, who in your life do you consider to be a close friend? Number two, in what ways has having close friends made you and your life better? Number three, what makes building close friendships difficult? And number four, in what ways will you build close friendship with someone this week? 
Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.